0: Hello everyone, my name is Christopher Rouse, and I would like to welcome you to this podcast. Pneumaturgical is a place where structure and spirit meet, where we celebrate, discover, and explore the work of the spirit in our world and lives. This episode marks the first in a special series, Pneumaturgical Lives, People at the intersection of structure and spirit. And from time to time, we will add uh, new episodes to this series. Pneumaturgical Lives will feature interviews with individuals who truly embody this dynamic blend of structure and spirit in the fabric of their very identities. It is with express privilege and joy that I am able to offer a conversation with Dr. Cheryl Bridges Johns as the first ever of these pneumaturgical live interviews. I'm honestly not sure how to sum up all of the dynamic contours of Dr. John's work and impact. She is known globally as a voice on all matters of church and culture, she entertains <laughs> invitations from a wide variety of government and religious, national, and international types of organizations, societies, academic guilds. She currently holds the Robert Fisher Chair of Spiritual Renewal at Pentecostal Theological Seminary, where she has taught for many, many years, as well as serving as a local church pastor for many years. To list Her published works and public lectures would take up several episodes, no doubt. So I encourage you, um, simply Google her name, honestly, and just take the time to just scan through a lifetime's worth of achievements. Uh, In the description of this episode, I have put a link uh, to the Pentecostal Theological Seminary's website, where there's a a brief, um, biography as well. And then I've also put a link to her most recently published book, uh, which is available of course through Amazon as well as a number of other, uh, book distributors. The friendship, grace, compassion, and spiritual formation that I have received from Cheryl and from her husband, Jackie, are gifts that I hold as some of my greatest treasures. Her impact upon my own life, as well as so many others, can only be discerned in the light of eternity. Cheryl is truly a person whose life is filled with the wonder and power of the Spirit. Cheryl is truly a person whose life is structured around what it means to live in Christ. There are people that we sometimes meet whose very presence seems to mediate the depths of divine grace. For me, to be in the presence of Dr. Cheryl Johns is to experience that kind of grace. When this interview was recorded, we were still in Holy Week, so some of the comments may reflect that, but nonetheless, the conversation is timeless. Also, remember that any Bath and Body Works candle cells that are mentioned have already passed, unfortunately, but there are always more to come. So sit back or sit up if you happen to be driving and step into a conversation with me as we celebrate, discover, and explore the work of the Spirit with Dr. Cheryl Bridges-Johns. This is Pneumaturgical Lives. Well, Dr. Johns, I want to welcome you to the podcast today, and I am beyond excited to um, to be able to talk with you. Um, those of you who are listening, um, of course, you know that everyone's schedules are crazy. And so Dr. Johns and I were kind of ships in the night for a while <laughs> passing, and then we finally made this connection, but I was determined um, to hold out to have you as the first guest on um, a series that I'm doing in the podcast um, called Pneumaturgical Lives. And um, to be honest, Dr. Johns, when I started to, to think about, you know, doing this podcast, putting it together, I had had this, this idea for a while of pneumaturgical, the work of the spirit. And as I've kind of described the podcast, it's a place where structure and spirit meet. Um, And I really have found as I've been working through things, I I really like had a good idea and and really didn't quite know what it was even. (laughs) So, So I'm kind of learning and discovering and all at the same time. But I remember as I was thinking about this idea of structure and spirit meeting together, I kept thinking about you and I was like, Dr. Johns, is. she's just a person that I think is an example of a life where structure and spirit blend so well. And so, of course, when I first kind of started the podcast, I wasn't really sure where it would go. So I posted a time or two about it. And full disclosure, I remember one of the first times I posted, you noticed it and you had shared it or commented on it. And so I ran up to Jody at home, my wife. I was like, oh my gosh, Cheryl noticed my podcast, you know? And, and I was like, you know, beyond, beyond excited. But anyway, all that said, I, I really want to ask you, and I'm so curious, when spirit and structure meet in, in, in a person's life, how do you imagine that to look? Like, what does a pneumaturgical kind of life look like? when we have that structure to our lives, and then when we have that that kind of uncontrolled spirit that meets together, what is what do you think that looks like?
1: First off, thanks for having me, Chris. And oh, yes, sorry. I love the the term pneumaturgical, right? Pneumaturgical. Yeah. yeah. I hope you coin that and don't let anyone else use it. Including me. Uh, And if I ever use it without letting you have the credit, you'll call me on that. Oh my goodness. Um, but I like that because one of the things that um as I have watched people move toward the liturgical coming out of evangelicalism or and or Pentecostalism, is that they always go in with this phrase, well, we're going to keep the spirit, you know, in, in in, but what happens often, and I've watched whole churches go through this, like the journey of churches, right? is that um, ecclesiology trumps pneumatology. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the problem that you get with the post nicene church, and often with my Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, you know, in dialogues, I would say, pneumatology frames ecclesiology and if it, ecclesiology frames pneumatology then the spirit becomes trapped within mm. the confines of the church and uh, you don't have the free reign of the spirit so the protestant reformation broke open some really good things in terms of the um you know paul tillich said the there was the freedom of the word, the free reign of the preached word. So you get this freedom coming in. And for the most part, it focused exclusively in Protestantism on preaching so Mm -hmm. that um, there was this freedom to preach and preaching became the high point of the service. But that became starkly oral and especially in some Protestant churches, more of the reformed side, I would say that it became very reason-based. Mm. So, so again, the spirit gets trapped. It just gets trapped in um, the rationalism of Protestantism and Pentecostalism. and Well, Methodism came along and gave us more of the affections and yet liturgy. I don't think Wesley ever let go of a lot of the liturgy, as you know, he, he advocated right. for the Eucharist. He advocated for uh, confession. He advocated, and that's why he was called um, you know sort of a pseudo roman uh, Roman Catholic kind of thing, you know, a cloaked Roman Catholic right uh, Papist. And you know, my movement, Pentecostalism, is um, coming out of that birth at Azusa Street, you have this freedom of the spirit, not just in the preached word but in the body itself. And right. so the, the focus goes from the Protestant minister in the pulpit. It goes out into the congregation, into the life of the people of God. So liturgy by its very definition is the work of the people. Right. And often, you know, I see liturgy as just the work of the clergy and very little part of involved in the, the people. So, uh, I think that we've got to keep the pneumatology rich. Is that answering your question? Yes. Oh,
0: yes. No. And for those of you who are listening, I've not had a chance to prep her with any of these questions. So you're just literally in the room with us here. You know, <laughs> as we're as we're dialoguing, and I loved what you just said a minute ago about, of course, the spirit can become confined in when we try to structure our lives too much, you know, perhaps in terms of our own reason um, and just the, the way that you kind of traced that movement um, most of the people who would be listening to this podcast, I would imagine are coming out of a Protestant background of some, some way. And so the Protestant church, we have focused on preaching almost to the extent, to the exclusion of, of the people. And I would, I would love to hear you just kind of open up a little bit more this, the, what you were talking about there, um, liturgy in the church has almost been kind of reduced down to the work of the clergy rather than the work of the people. So how do we, how can churches, how can, can just individual believers how can we truly make um, and, and have our lives shaped in a way that is liturgical and, and not just um, as, quote unquote, directed by clergy, but as directed by the spirit in our daily lives? That's a really good question.
1: And I believe mm-hmm. that liturgy is part of the practice of the Christian life. Every one of us has liturgy and I, I have to depend on the external a lot. Like I I need to go to the Y and somebody yell at me to do my exercises and <laughs> I've got to have appointments set. And then, you know, I, I need external, uh, I, I need the external structures. And mm-hmm. often uh, liturgy is just providing the external stru- structures and we all have that in the mornings. What is the liturgy that we have right getting up and getting our first cup? And if, you know, it just gets all messed up if it doesn't go the way that something says it should go. And I think the older we get, the more we get toward that. And so liturgy is, is very much, I think, just the, the structures wherein we, uh, we do the right praise mm. and I think what's happening so is that we're needing to expand that and maybe recapture what was lost with Zwingli and others is you know that whole emphasis on preaching the liturgy became starkly verbal and now we're getting um, back to Tillich said you know we've got to bring back the sacramental aspects of nature the water the wine the oil, the bread. Uh, so, what we see and what we taste and what we touch is just as important in the liturgy, right? As what we hear. And in our lives, that's very true. Uh, you know, we have the liturgy of what we taste and what we feel, and we have elements in our life that become sacred to us. Yes, and so. I believe that uh, you know, the question is then where's the spirit there? Well, I, for us, I believe that we have to have this more enchanted worldview, right. or it won't work. It just won't work. Because if we don't have this worldview where the spirit of God is present and the space grows very thin when that happens between um, the eternal world and this world, uh then if we don't have a robust pneumatology allowing that enchanted world, then the liturgy just becomes just as stale as that, which we left, Mm. you know, we leave something thinking that the liturgy is going to provide us a richness that we didn't have, but I have seen it over and over. I've watched people go toward the liturgy, more liturgical worship or whatever. And I, I see them letting go of this pneumatology and um like I've followed one church that started out as an episcopal prayer group in the 80s and it was a charismatic prayer group and it morphed into a church. It was highly lay-led. They were burned over by crazy prophets, which happens a lot in history, right? Right,
0: right. right
1: Lay right. people women in particular, you know, as they said, well, so they, as my husband, Jackie, likes to say, they rush to the council of Nazia, um, the church split, and then we get do nothing without the bishop. So you get this rector, you get the priest, and you get this changing of the format to where uh, no longer do you have prophetic words given in the congregation. At first they moved them to designated people on the sides and you could go to them for prayer and prophetic words. The last time I visited, which was a Palm Sunday a few years ago, it's so Anglo Catholic. I recognize none of it. Hmm. The, uh, the, uh, the rector is also a Bishop now. And, you know, he had the just the hat and the the vestments just keep getting more elaborate and the prophetic words, the uh, the the drama of the liturgy, right? The drama of worship has moved completely away from the congregation, and it's all on the um, altar of the priest and the sacramental theology. Which I'm not, you know, I don't have a sacramental theology as much as the sense that yes, I believe in sacraments, and but I don't see that being coming necessarily through through priests, you know, I believe in the priesthood believers and all of that, but all of that's kind of gone. And they're more Anglo-Catholic, um, and women shouldn't be ordained. And so it was women who started the church, and um, they have gone full-blown Anglo-Catholic in just the course of about 20 years. And uh, so what started out maybe as a sincere desire to to bring more order, because it was a bit of chaos, right? It was chaos. These right. lay prophets were not trained theologically. <clears throat> and they became controlling of the congregation. So you have the clergy then coming in and exerting control out of these controlling laity, but then they became even worse, I think, than the, the right. laity.
0: Wow. Wow. And that's such a, I loved how you kind of use the example of a, a congregation so people could help kind of imagine what that dynamic even looks like when you get into uh, mm-hmm. to local churches. And as you were saying, <clears throat> excuse me, I loved how you said when, when we put too much, I guess, stock in the structure, and not just in the structure of our daily life, but even in having to have... Uh, such order to the church structure, where it becomes oppressive and and institutionalized to a degree that it just pushes out the voice of the spirit. Uh, I loved how you said it. It moves the drama of of God's work out of the congregation and just kind of up onto the stage, so to speak. Mm-hmm.
1: And we've and, done that without the liturgical <clears throat> too, in the right. sense
0: that sense yeah, yeah. And I I wanted to ask too, though, kind of. As you were talking, though, about the way when we, that we all have liturgies we live by, you know, as you said, even our morning routine that, you know, we have various things we do, we touch, we taste, we see, we hear, etc. And, um, and I guess in a way, by locating ourselves in those patterns, sometimes that's how we encounter the drama of life and of God's work. But I've, I really wonder kind of how d- do you think that um, just kind of maybe reimagining liturgy or re-anchoring ourselves into liturgy of some kind might be a helpful resource during, during this, this kind of pandemic situation we've come through and are still kind of journeying through? Because I've heard so many people say, well, the structures and patterns of my life just fell apart you know, during COVID, and so we're kind of, it's like we're just kind of lost out on the sea, and that was really part of of what drew me towards um, starting uh, this whole kind of pneumaturgical journey during COVID, was trying to find those patterns, recapture them, so what are, do you have any thoughts about kind of what the value of liturgy is in a time like this especially?
1: Yeah, uh, you may know Aaron Nequist, um, his eternal current podcast. So he's been mm-hmm. focusing on practices during the right. pandemic that helped ground us. And I, I met with him, I talked with him on one podcast about uh, the practice of, of immersing in nature as a very important healing, yeah. grounding uh, practice, liturgical practice that I practice. And so I do think that you know, the opposite of order is chaos and none of us like chaos. It's not fun to live in that. And children in particular thrive on liturgy things that they know is coming around the bend. That's why the church calendar is so important. And right. that's why, you know, this week is so important because it grounds us in these holy days and this holy season. So I believe that the more we can now um, acknowledge the the calendar, the practices that go with that calendar and find uh, communities wherein we can practice some really good liturgy, even if it's online, that we are together in in this and, and there are new practices Liturgy is emerging online, kind of thing where people meet uh, for prayer, they meet for reflection uh, and readings, and maybe even the Stations of the Cross are online now. And you know, it's 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 different.
0: Yeah, yeah. But definitely. I
1: do think that we've got to ground ourselves in some very
0: healthy practices right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. My goodness, no, that's that's good. Um, and especially, like you said, that uh, I loved how you talked about the immersing in nature, mm-hmm. you know, and and kind of even finding um, liturgical reflections in nature, I guess, and in the order that it displays to us um, as well. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, along with with that, or kind of on the same the same line, when I Started to had been thinking about the podcast and had started to think of this whole uh, term pneumaturgical. One of the the scripture passages that I found and it it became one that I kind of anchored into a little bit um, comes out of Matthew 11 and I wanted to read just a couple of verses and I'm going to use the Message translation which I know can be a controversial you know. <laughs> translation.
1: I like and stuff. Go ahead.
0: I know. I know. And so uh, in Matthew 11, Peterson, of course, th- these are words that are coming uh, from Jesus. And he says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So just like you said, it's, it's beautiful what Peterson does there in interpreting Jesus's words, but that phrase, um, the unforced rhythms of grace... Was what oh, just, I know, yeah. I know it was what jumped out at me because to me, I guess, in, in trying to find a space where structure and spirit meet, for me, that meant trying to find those unforced rhythms of grace in life. And I, um, I know that, of course, recently in your life, you published um, some work. Um, on uh, on menopause of all topics, mm-hmm. right? Something that the church right. doesn't spend a lot of time talking about. Not a lot of time. Not yeah. a, a lot of time. But I wanted just to to kind of I was curious to hear what you thought about how do we find then these unforced rhythms of grace in every season of our life, in all seasons as we go from from child to uh you know to young adult to you know, moving into later stages of adulthood, et cetera. How do we continue to find those unforced rhythms in every season?
1: That's such a good, good question, Chris. And a friend of mine, Lois Elena, uh, she recently left um, theological education after being in it for decades. She's in her fifties and she really had no place to go. Wow. And, but the Lord gave her, those verses that you just
0: read oh me. marvelous,
1: and she and I have resuming the other day, and she was reading these verses to me in the message
0: oh, I love it and
1: she said, "This is where I am, I have this right when I, I see it when I get up, it's in my bathroom, I have it all over my house, and she said this this yoke that I am with Jesus right now is so special." I have more money in my bank account than I did when I was working full-time. I am delighting in being with Jesus. I know that he's carrying the heavy part. Right. So I just listened to her in awe at what she was saying. Like, oh, my goodness. And I'm sitting there like, okay, now, have you sent any applications off to (laughs) (laughs) Right. Trying to pull her out of that yoke, and Jesus is pulling her the other way. Right. Leave this woman alone.
0: Oh, wow. She's where
1: I want her to be. And I just think that's such a um, a good testimony. Uh, she has rituals and rhythms, and she follows down, but her life is not so hectic. You know, you can have ritual, then it gets obsessive, right? you, you Right. You've got to be at this, this, this. And her life was an administrator, and she walked a lot of D men students through their projects. And now she's editing freelance. And she said, Some mornings I feel free to sleep in till eight o'clock. And that's unheard of. No one does that, right? No one does right. that.
0: Yeah. We're productive.
1: Uh, we're productive. So being productive is sometimes not a good liturgy, is it?
0: Oh, that's that'll preach.
1: And in our churches, let's go there. Like, you know, you got the countdown clocks.
0: Right.
1: And you got three minutes to give this announcement and there are countdowns up on the wall. And right. because it's all uh, choreographed and online or TV or wherever it is. And we think that we're being more productive. And
0: very efficient is the word. Yeah,
1: that's the word. Yeah. But it's, it's kind of robbing us, I think, of our soul. And oh
0: wow, that's it's
1: a good. liturgy that we need to let go of. Um, and you know, uh, Stephen Proctor, I had him to the seminary. He's a visual artist. He he does all of Beth Moore's big big events with the visual stuff and lights and music. And he said, you know, um, after a while, my soul. He lived in Nashville with all the big artists, and he said my soul was dry because the liturgy of the rock concert. Left Mm. me brief. It left me nothing. Wow. And I I do think that the liturgy of the rock concert is becoming a popular evangelical, charismatic, Pentecostal liturgy. And I'm not sure if that's the correct liturgy. I don't know if it's pneumoliturgical or not. It has appearances of pneumoliturgical. It's excitement. People jump up and down. There's smoke and all that. But is it truly filled with the presence and the spirit? Yeah. If it's pneumatological, it's radiating presence and glory should be very close by, very Mm. close
0: by. That's good. Gosh, that's good. Oh, my word. Well, I want to ask you then, too. That's, man, that's good. Uh, You know, when we're talking about... um, that there can be bad liturgies right that we end up adapting and and sometimes not even really realizing that we that we have um but in in the practice of if we're structuring our lives by liturgies that have integrity that of course as you said are filled with with the the radiance of the spirit something that I, that I wonder is you know in 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 Christ there's both Perfect humanity, perfect divinity, we would say, you know, they are together. So how can those practices of liturgy not just help us to touch into the divine? How can they also help us to encounter the reality of our humanity more as well? That's so good question,
1: Chris, not to sit with that a moment, but we're on a podcast. So
0: I guess. No, that's okay. We're back too long. Because, I, because stu- I, I think that that, sorry, that, that humanity part, we, we kind of want, we're not sure what to do with it, I guess.
1: Yeah. And I think we, 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 we live in this bifurcated world of natural versus supernatural. Human is bad and divine is good and divine is good, but also human is good. And so liturgy that helps us get in touch with uh the goodness in the world and humanity that we have and Mm. uh service for the common good caring for people after storms and hurricanes and immigrants uh that gets us into both the divine and the human and my time in nature is for me a very human worldly thing but yet it is a very divine so getting in touch with our humanness is a good thing. It shows us that to be human is good, being in the image of God, and that we are loved, not just because uh, we are saved, but that we are created. So this is a creational uh, pneumatology there that has to be in play. and. A lot of our traditions, especially the one I'm in, it doesn't have a creational pneumatology. It's anti-creation, anti-bodied, anti-nature.
0: A very you know, dualistic kind of a world.
1: Very, yeah. And, you know, love not the world. Well, it's, the world is the cosmos of powers and principalities. But the earth is. God delights in the earth. Yeah. And he gave us that place to be fully human is to be grounded in in the earth
0: well and, and even with each
1: other too to be in community that's humanness.
0: Right. And I, I I love what you just said there about of course the the cosmos, scripture kind of says can be this place of the powers and the principalities mm-hmm. which can work uh, they are working against the kingdom of God. Right. But as you said, the earth, the created earth that God has deemed good, uh that the earth is is the ground for for liturgy to grow from and and to encounter that's that's that's
1: amazing. the first liturgy that's where yeah. it, and it will be again our our liturgical home
0: oh yes it's not
1: heaven far away but heaven's coming and earth and heaven will rejoin in a, a beautiful embrace and uh, there will be verdant trees and and water and all that and It's not some kind of you know we get this idea that we're like in a disembodied state and right and I I, you know have you ever heard anyone preach on Revelation eleven woe to uh, the earth uh, it says for you have come speaking of God Christ to to destroy those who destroy the earth
0: yeah and you know what's interesting I just By the time this episode plays, we will have come through Easter. And I did an interview with Robbie Waddell. We talked about the apocalypse as an Easter yeah. text. Oh, and he, okay. And he goes to some of those texts you're just referring to oh, good. about the renewal of creation. It's just it's an it's amazing to me. And mm-hmm. it comes out of God's imagination, you know, the renewal of of everything. Um, that's gorgeous, gorgeous. I love, love, it. That. I love it. God's
1: it comes out of God's wonderful imagination
0: yes yeah well to kind of um wrap up with kind of one one last question today and and i'm just i'm enjoying the conversation so much um recently i had had the chance to listen to the recording where you were talking uh in the chapel at the university and Mm -hmm. um this being holy week um you were talking about the the fragrance of life and and death and uh, the anointing of Jesus, and the oil, and I remember several years ago, of course, I I think I messaged you about it, hearing, Mm -hmm. uh, hearing as you were kind of at that time, I think, really starting to think about that idea, and and that topic. Um, Yeah, I
1: preached at Wesley on that.
0: Yes, 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 it was. During Holy Week. Yes, Mm -hmm. the most amazing, all things, full circle here, Um, Mm -hmm. and so, it made me think, though, ultimately, uh, the season that we're, of course, coming out of liturgically, the Lenten season, it made me think about the scent of Lent and, you know, what, oh,
1: yeah. what,
0: what is, you know, that scent? Because I've become super addicted lately um, to candles from Bath and Body Works, which I burn without end in my office. I've got one burning right now while I'm talking to you. So my my question kind of to to end in a way is, number one, I want to know, do you have any good recommendations for scented candles? Because those listening may be interested, right? Right. And And the second question being of a more pneumaturgical nature. So as we we go from the, the Lenten season into Easter and beyond, into all liturgical time, how do we carry... You know the fragrance of Christ with us in life. How do we, how do we structure our lives liturgic, liturgically in a way that is engaging all of us as a person? You know, smell and sight and hearing. What are what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, you know, I I preached a sermon too out of I think First Corinthians. Where is it? Where. Christ leads us in triumphal procession. Yes. yes. To Some are the stench of death and to others, the fragrance of life. That's a duality. And I don't think that we should ever split that apart, even in eternity around the throne of God. It's the man. So we're, we're going to have that stench of death in eternity. And we try to avoid it. And COVID is the stench of death. It's grief. It's. Mm. It's everywhere. We bear it. And so we carry that. We carry each other's burdens. Mm. We go through the dark night. Uh, We have the stench of death on us. And it can't always be um, happy days and bells and whistles and jumping. It's it's sometimes deep groans and lament. And the stench of death just hangs in the air. It's hanging in the air right now. But as Jesus embraced that, we embrace it. But we also, as Jesus had, the fragrance of life. So we're not left brief, are we? That's right. Yeah. So the fragrance of life is all in the crevices of creation and all there. Just as the fragrance of death is in creation, so is the fragrance of life. And our bodies, our lives, our testimonies, our witness is to bear the fragrance of life well. But also don't shut out the stench of death because when we do, it's a sickening smell for me. Like it's mm. just, these are people who don't, as Amos the prophet said, you you refuse to grieve. Right. You know, you anoint yourself with the finest lotions, but you're not going to grieve. Uh, yeah. You got the best candles, but you're not going to grieve, right? So right. we've got to take that stench of death. And sometimes the spirit, we're we're forced to, right? Like like right. the loss of your precious son. You were right. forced to bear that. We don't choose that. But when we, we receive it and we carry it and we're wrapped in that, but there's also this fragrance of life that is hidden there in such a beautiful way. And the best saints, the best saints are the ones who bear it so well.
0: Yeah. They're yeah. the ones
1: who just... They're not all the happy, 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 but neither are they the grumbling, complaining, woe is me. Right. They just know how to hold that.
0: And something that strikes me as you say that too about the the saints, you know, people that we encounter sometimes, it's interesting because when, when a saint walks into a room, just by their physical body coming into that space, it instantly feels you they radiate even in a physical way, that spiritual reality. Oh, they do. And I, you know, I think that's just it's something that, like you said, in our thinking, sometimes we have such a bifurcation between body and spirit. We miss the fact that 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 the um the liturgy of our our spirit, I guess, should be shaping the liturgy of our body, I guess, and vice versa you know, as well. So.
1: Oh, that's a good point. There's Chris. Yes, it should. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. So the pressing question too, what is your favorite candle scent, then?
1: Well, I just ordered from bed. What is it called? Bath, oh, and, Bath
0: and Body Works. Oh yes. They're yeah. having a candle sale right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, see, I have serious ADD. And all right. I'm cold, so I don't want to burn the house down. And I <laughs> have to put notes all over the place you know, blow out the candle, because the next right. day, I find it, or leave the house, and it's burned down, so right. I, um, I, you know, I looked for uh, some fragrances for spring, because oh, I'm yes. seasonal, oh, and, right,
0: yes, yeah,
1: you know, I have this uh, plug-in thing, oh,
0: the yeah, the plug-ins, yeah. the plug-ins, that's right,
1: they're helpful, and they, and they won't the burn your house pl- down, they won't, hopefully, <laughs> burn the house down, and so I just, use them and I they had five for 18 dollars yesterday.
0: Oh, yes it was a good sale that's right I went I went in and got the little candles and and like you said I'm mm-hmm. always so trying to remind myself as well to you know just put the lid on it so that it'll go out you know before you leave the the room oh yeah yeah so. yeah
1: uh, I should have gone I just didn't want to go into town right and then I had to well, pay shipping. I well,
0: as we're filming this or recording this tomorrow, they are having a sale in store: buy two candles and get two free.
1: No way! So,
0: oh yes, I well, just got an email about it.
1: Yeah, those yeah. are good gifts to people oh, I know gosh, who yes. like them and um, have a. I can trust you know they can be trusted too. <laughs>
0: right, you, so. I love it. I love it. Well, Dr. Johns, this has just been a wonderful <laughs> conversation. I mean, truly, um, I. I just am so thankful for your presence in in this world. thankful um, for voices like yours who are putting together structure and spirit and and are encouraging us to to explore the liturgies of life. And so I just um pray blessings for you that you would just continue to be a voice for that. Um, Thank
1: you. Uh, I'm blessed to know you, Chris and Jody, and our precious children. and I pray that the podcast thrives. I'll do my part for you.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> I appreciate that. You know, it it, it really um, to to kind of circle back to when I started it. It really was just kind of a way of having a creative outlet, and so the fact mm-hmm. that people started listening was kind of a surprise. Um, but i I think in a way, maybe that's been a good thing because I mm-hmm. I really have no kind of pretense for. Because uh, several of my friends immediately said, "Well, you need to monetize it. You need to make it efficient, productive," and and I thought, "But that's that's not that's not why we create, you know. That's not why we yeah. create."
1: I guess yeah. you know people like us who say that kind of thing. We might need people to help monetize it. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. I'm totally inca- incapacitated. <laughs> with that.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I um, I'm just thankful to to just be in in this journey of life, and like you said, to be discovering those unforced rhythms of grace in every season, it's every just, season, in every season. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, thank you for being with me today. Well, folks, I hardly even know what to say about this conversation that I was able to have with, uh, with Dr. Cheryl Johns, you probably heard me constantly just pausing to take in the wisdom. I felt like she was dispensing in her comments and I felt like I was just constantly responding with phrases like that's, that's just amazing or wow, that's just good stuff. I, um, have had to go back and listen to this conversation a number of times already. So much was packed inside of it. Um, and I mean, gosh, what more needs to be to be said or added to, to any of the things that she was offering? Um, I do want to let you know, and I'll be putting up uh, some posts about this in the next several days, this coming week. I am going to uh, plan to have maybe just a a live broadcast through social media as kind of a follow-up discussion of this episode because there are so many um, different topics and and just threads that are weaving together. So be on the lookout for that, uh, for a follow-up conversation um, uh, about this conversation Again, I am so thankful you joined with me for the first episode in this series of Pneumaturgical Lives, and if you haven't had a chance, um, perhaps consider subscribing uh, to the Pneumaturgical Podcast, Uh, maybe leave a review or a rating. Um, If you happen to have a a comment or a question maybe that came to you while you were listening to this interview, uh, just send it to pneumaturgical at gmail.com and I'll try to look through some of those for the follow-up conversation in a few days. You take care, folks. Um, My prayer is that you will find the Spirit at work in your life.